Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. Okay, so it's been a long night into a, you know, a long morning, but we wanted to bring you Problematic Women. So this episode is going to be a little different, going to be a little more off the cuff, but we're excited to bring, we're going to break down some of the results and kind of our thoughts leading out of Election Day. Also joined with us is our good friend, well, our friend, who we, maybe should we use adjective in Virginia? Oh, wow. <laughs> Ow. Ouch. <laughs> Throwing her under the bus before she can even get a word in. They haven't even formally announced me yet. <laughs> who is I, this you know, woman on the call? If I said, Mary Margaret, if I, if I set a low bar, then you just, you exceed expectations. <laughs> We're bringing our friend, Mary Margaret Olahan to break it all down. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Well, it sucks. Thanks. <laughs> it's quite the welcome. <laughs> um, great to be here as always. <laughs> no sarcasm no, in that not, at, not all. at all. Well, Mary Margaret says great to be here, but only one of us is actually here. Other of us are working from home, but we'll we'll also let that one slide. I knew you'd bring this up. Here, just posting away. Right about uh, these missions over here as I drink my coffee. <laughs> yeah, lots of coffee is necessary today. Mm, the coffee yes. needs to flow. Mary Margaret, what time did you leave Heritage yesterday? Uh, we left at, I think it was, we got home around 1.30. Oh, wow. Um, that was... Yeah. It, and you know what? The nice thing was that the traffic was non-existent at 1.30. Oh, well, wow. <laughs> Bonus, you know what? You should actually just work until 1 a.m. every single day, and then you'd never have to fight traffic. Wow. Sam and I did briefly discuss that. Normally it takes me like 30 minutes to get home. Last night it was maybe 15, so. Wow. There you go. (laughs) And when you left, did you feel like you actually knew anything? No, that was, I felt frustrated last night, and you guys can probably relate to this, because we had so little information all night, and so many races just kind of dwindled on and on, that when I left, I was frustrated, um, because I felt like I hadn't gotten to do that much, or hadn't to write that much, and I was watching Arizona, and I was concerned about that, so just a very anticlimactic evening. Mm. Well, Virginia, you actually weren't even in D.C. at all. Can you let us know kind of where? Let Mary Margaret and I know where you are. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, currently I'm in a car in East Lansing, Michigan. Uh, I've never recorded a podcast in a car before, but there's a first time for everything. And you have to qualify that the car is not moving. (laughs) Yes. I'm doing this safely. I'm sitting in the back seat parked in a hotel parking lot. (laughs) So it's pretty glamorous here. Uh, but it's it's working. The audio quality, our producer says, is fine. So thumbs up mm. there. But um, yes, yeah, so I am in Michigan because there were some really big races and uh, things to watch it happening in Michigan this midterm election. Of course, you had the governor's race. Republican Tudor Dixon was facing off against incumbent Democrat Governor Gretchen Whitmer. And Gretchen Whitmer, she kind of became a little bit of a household name across the country during COVID-19 because she was so stringent on her lockdown policies. Mm. I mean, schools were closed for so long in Michigan. So many businesses were closed. She was handing out all sorts of, you know, 
guidance saying, you know, families shouldn't gather for holidays. And she she really was the far, far left of the radical policies during COVID. So I think so many people thought, okay, in Michigan, they're going to be ready for a change. They're going to want someone that's all about uh, freedom and pro-business and pro-education, which is really the platform that Tudor Dixon ran on that she wanted to make sure that parents had uh, had a voice back in their kids education she wanted to make sure that small businesses felt supported and the, had the resources that they need uh, but what we saw last night um, was that Michigan the folks in Michigan chose to again vote to have uh, Whitmer as their governor for another four years I um, I was at polls yesterday morning talking with voters and sort of the consensus that I heard, among folks voting for Whitmer was, well, you know, she's okay, but she's the better option than Dixon in their minds. I I spoke with two voters that were really enthusiastic. They were like, she's done a great job. We want four more years. Everyone else was sort of like, "Uh, yeah, she's fine. Um, And then as among the the Tudor Dixon supporters, those folks were definitely really fired up. But um, I think it's going to be yeah, it's just interesting to see how how that race went. But um, anyway, more more news for Michigan in and a moment. Virginia, I think like that fact is why we're kind of all reeling the, this morning. Is like Gretchen Whitmer. I mean, she locked down Michigan and kept kids out of school for such a long time, and it seemed like there was such a general consensus against these lockdowns. You know, and the fact that people are like, "Oh no, it's fine." It's just it kind of. I, I'm baffled, you know, I, I, yeah. how, how, I mean, I think that is, that's the word to describe what happened in so many states, whether it was governor's races or house or Senate last night is a lot of people feel a little bit baffled. Um, and I think, I think some of this goes back to the fact that, you know, as a country right now, we, we are so divided. And so people, um, feel like, you know, they have to be fully on board with one party or another. It's kind of created these uh, just very polarized atmospheres. I also think people do, I'm, I'm guilty of this just as much as anyone. We all have short memories, honestly. And so, you know, folks for the most part have been out of the pandemic, out of restrictions for about a year. It's pretty easy to forget some of the stuff that has happened. Um, and, I think that's in part what we saw last night. Yeah. I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Mary Margaret. Thanks you know for backing me up. <laughs> you know what's funny about this, too, is we're not going to do a lot of editing, so we're going to keep that in. <laughs> <laughs> He's absolutely right, though. Virginia, excellent points made. <laughs> well, I I do I do want to mention um, just one other well actually five other <laughs> just quickly important notes. But starting with Michigan, so one of the other major reasons why I came to Michigan was that they were voting on something called Proposition Three, which was to amend their constitution to include language that would say specifically that there is a right to abortion within the Michigan state constitution. Um, this was a, a really big deal, very controversial in the state, lots of conversations about it. People on the pro-life side, we're really, really hopeful that it would fail. Um, 
and that life would be able to be protected. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. It did pass, which means moving forward in Michigan, it's going to be almost impossible to protect life in this state because now the floodgates have opened for the radical abortion lobby to be able to promote really, really progressive abortion laws in the state. And and unfortunately, Michigan was not the only state that did this. California, not a big surprise there. But they also enshrined a quote-unquote right to abortion within their state constitution. Vermont did the same thing. Again, no surprise. It was just a landslide there for this pro-abortion measure. Um, And then in the state of Kentucky, they had a pro-life ballot amendment that would have said Uh, would have added language to their constitution that says there is no right to abortion within the Kentucky state constitution. Uh, Well, that failed. Uh, And then we're still waiting on official results from Montana, but Montana was voting on a ballot measure that was a Born Alive Protection Act. So it would say a child that's born alive during a botched abortion is a human. They're entitled to receive all the same medical care as, you know, any, anyone else is you and I. And that looks like it failed. It has not officially been called yet as of Wednesday afternoon, but it looks like it's going to fail. So pretty depressing night on, on the life side all across the country. It's, insane and i think the california one i took a look at that a couple weeks ago and i know you i know you've been reporting on it a lot virginia but the california one specifically when these lawmakers or activists were putting it together they talked about how they didn't include the language viability of the fetus which means that it's not really placing any limit on when the baby can be aborted which is just, you know, absolutely insane. And when these pro-life advocates tried to spread awareness about this proposition and they tried to say in messaging that the proposition would effectively allow for abortion up until birth, um, the they were fact-checked by, like, Facebook. They were fact-checked by pro-abortion activists and even California lawmakers who tried to say, oh, no, they're lying to you about Proposition 1. But they're, they're being, you know, manipulative in that this proposition doesn't include that language. So effectively is not placing a limit on when the baby can be aborted. And so tragically, I think we're going to see some cases over the next, who knows, maybe weeks, months, years in which this comes into play because there's, you know, effectively no limit right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. So right now, California says um, that a baby can't be aborted after the time um, it's considered viable. You know, there's a few exceptions for that that it gives. But um, now with this new amendment, you're right, Mary Margaret, this paves the way for any baby in California to be aborted literally up to the time of birth. Um, And in Vermont, they already have that, so it's a little confusing why they felt it necessary to pass um, this uh, amendment to their constitution, but they did. And then in, it's interesting looking at both Michigan and Vermont because the language of their ballot amendments is worded in such a way that it will um, likely affect transgender treatment for kids and remove parental consent so that you know a 15-year-old or a 14-year-old who wants to have a double mastectomy without their parents' consent could. Uh, So we're talking about really extreme measures. These go far, far beyond 
just codifying Roe v. Wade. They're much more extreme than that. It is really not funny, but I, I do think when you know Virginia, the fact that her note on this is all the pro-life losses frowny face. It's just so funny. <laughs> like with everything. It's like she could even type out the pro-life losses without just putting that little frowny face. To we made sure to know I how mean, she felt. It says a lot. It's sad. It's a big deal. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's like not not at all to take it lightly. But me and like he just said, I have to say at this point, it's like okay, mm. here we go. We're in it for the long haul. This is a long fight ahead. In that's that's probably the major takeaway as far as pro-life issues from election night is we have a long way to go. We have a long way to go on having conversations about this and messaging. So here we are. Frowny face. <laughs> frowny face. All right. Now, we are going to take a quick break, but we have a lot more to discuss and a lot more to make fun of Mary and Margaret for. So stay tuned. Five days a week, two episode formats, one mission to deliver the news you care about and analysis on the biggest issues facing America. The Daily Signal podcast brings you two episodes every day in the same podcast feed. Each morning, catch interviews with policymakers, leading experts and conservative activists as we discuss some of the greatest challenges facing our country and offer solutions for a brighter future. And every weekday at 5 p.m., we bring you the top news of the day. These are the headlines you care about. Subscribe to the Daily Signal podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss out on our morning interviews or evening news. So there are a few House and Senate races that are really worth talking about. So I want to ask you all, first and foremost, which races were you following closely? Any standout in your mind? Well, obviously, I was following the Florida governor race because Florida's the best state. And I already had the best governor. So (laughs) I love that we knew that, like, two seconds after (laughs) polls closed. It was like, okay, and done for Florida. It's good. (laughs) It, It, like, really kind of made us, like, ready for that quote unquote red wave of like, okay, things are going good, but it was just such a flash in the pan. It was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Florida though, I mean, gosh, like that's quite the story. The fact that not very long ago, Florida was really considered a swing state. It was very Mm. purple. And now I don't think anyone is calling Florida purple. Like that is a a very red state that you are from, Lauren. (laughs) Yeah, I think Charlie Crist. Is it Charlie Crist? I always mispronounce. No, it's Charlie Crist. His opponent, he had tweeted hours before the election, today is the last day that Ron DeSantis will be a governor. Of <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's, he had so, he has so many, he did have like a fair amount of supporters, maybe not in Florida, but across the country. So his tweet went viral. And then last night after, after uh, DeSantis won, everyone was mocking him for it. But um in the New York Post. Did you guys see that New York Post cover about Ron DeSantis? I did. Yeah, that was wild. What did it say? So I'm trying to pull it up here, but it says... It was was quite witty. I'm trying to remember what the exact wording. So it's got this very, you know, dramatic photo of DeSantis holding his daughter, and then his wife is next to him in this very glamorous gown, uh, holding the hands of their other two kids. 
And the headline is, Young GOP star DeSantis romps to victory in Florida. And then below, in big letters, it says, De Future. (laughs) That's funny. That is very funny. (laughs) Well, yeah, because, I mean, I think people are, it's no secret that people suspect that DeSantis may make a run for president. So everyone was watching to see, okay, how is he actually going to pull in his own state with, you know, with the people that should back him most if he has presidential potential right so yeah that's gonna be interesting to see unfold um i i was watching a few different races both in florida and in texas that were predominantly hispanic districts that Mm. were considered to be kind of you know on the line could go either way um and one that was pretty exciting and encouraging to see um Monica de la Cruz for Texas's 15th Mm. congressional district. She won and became the first Republican to represent residents in the Rio Grande Valley in uh, in the U.S. House of Representatives. So a a huge, huge victory for her. And she's someone that, you know, I feel like we're going to we're going to see quite a bit from in the news. She's really strong on on border issues, which obviously for the folks that live in that very southern part of Texas is a huge issue. Um, and so that was that was a significant race. Um, but like we said, you know, it, it wasn't um, it wasn't as dramatic as far as some of the house races as as people predicted. Um, and obviously it looks like it looks pretty safe to say as of Wednesday afternoon, yes, Republicans will control the house and we're still waiting though on, on those Senate races. Were there any Senate races that you all were tracking? Yeah, I was paying close attention to J.D. Vance, Blake Masters. Um, These aren't Senate races, but I was paying close attention to Doug Mastriano, who's running for governor of Pennsylvania. He lost. Um, Also, Dr. Oz running for Senate in Pennsylvania. He also lost to Fetterman, which is just mind-blowing. in the J.D. Vance race, that's like one of the maybe, you know, a, one of a few good highlights from last night. J.D. Vance is a fascinating character who I would love to interview soon if I can. Um, and, you know, he's the author of Hillbilly Elegy. He talks about how he really worked his way up from um, a really impoverished childhood where he suffered a lot and went to a really impressive Ivy League school. He served in the military for a little while. And um, I actually read an article by him recently about his conversion to the Catholic faith. He's a very, very intellectual man. And he's also a culture warrior. He's really good on pretty much every culture issue that, you know, Heritage is interested in. But you've got trans issues, abortion, um, critical race theory, all of that. So he's just a very interesting person to watch. And he's potentially, uh, as a serious Catholic I find it very interesting how seriously he takes his faith because it's kind of abnormal in this day and age and in um, in a lawmaker. Yeah. Yeah, I was really interested to see his uh, his win and while full full confession here, I should I should read Hillbilly. You LG. haven't read Hillbilly LG? I watched the movie. <laughs> Stop it. Virginia <laughs> Allen. So for all of our listeners Ugh. out there, if if you haven't read it, that will be that will be a commitment that we can make together. It's to so good. It. It's so it's so good. And now I'm I'm like afraid of JD Vance as a senator, because what if he doesn't live up to like 
the JD of the book. Of the I book. know. Well, see, the thing is, I think the movie was like so gut wrenching that after watching the movie, I was like, oh man, I don't know that I can read the book. Like, this is an emotional roller coaster. I didn't want to watch the movie. I like, I really liked the book, but. I'm a little bit of a nerd sometimes, and I always <laughs> prefer the book to the movie. I like that now you're bullying yourself before I can even jump in. <laughs> and Lauren, I was homeschooled, and I'm proud of it. And I am happy to acknowledge that I'm a nerd. <laughs> so uh, I listen. I listen to the book just so n- okay. nobody thinks that I'm okay. A nerd. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's that's what I'll do. I, I have a long drive coming up to Georgia, so maybe See, I'll... perfect. There you go. I'll listen to it. But what for you all were the big surprises, big takeaways from Tuesday night slash Wednesday morning? Mm, well, we still don't have results in the Arizona races with Carrie Lake, this uh, Republican firebrand who's up against Katie Hobbs for um, governor of Arizona, and then... Uh, Blake Masters, who is going against Mark Kelly in the Arizona Senate race. Both of those races, let me see right now, they've been so close. I mean, when I went to bed last night, I was thinking it was looking really bad for them. But then when I woke up this morning, uh, things are looking a lot better. We got, well, Mark Kelly's at 51.4% right now. Blake Masters at 464 68% of the votes are in. And then Katie Hobbs is at 50.33. Carrie Lake is so close. She's at 49.67. Wow. And that 66% of the votes are in. So razor thin. It's really th- razor thin. And we also, that race is super interesting because um, there was a whole problem yesterday where Blake Masters and Carrie Lake and the RNC and I think the Republican Senatorial Committee, they all sued to keep the polls open three hours longer than they were supposed to be open because there were reports that something like 20% of the 200 polling locations in Maricopa County were not working properly. So the... um. Let me double check so I'm not spreading misinformation here. Um, Yeah, so the election officials said that about 20% of the 200 polling places in Maricopa County had at least one malfunctioning tabulator. And so people were starting to leave because they thought that, you know, their vote wasn't going to count there or something. And so Mm -hmm. Donald Trump and Donald Trump Jr. and a lot of high-profile Republicans and commentators started tweeting and stuff and saying, don't leave, stay, hold the line, got very dramatic. And they sued to keep the polls open longer. And then right before the polls closed, um, a federal, I don't know if it was a federal judge. It was not a federal judge. A judge said, no, we're not keeping them open and rejected the lawsuit. Mm. Wow. That's a lot to happen in one day. Like, Wow. I I know. Yeah. Like for for a lawsuit to be filed to keep polls open and rejected. And that's wild. I didn't know things could move that that quickly. That's crazy. So dramatic, you know, and they they got that lawsuit together really fast, too. But then the the judge said uh, the court does not have any evidence that there was a voter who was precluded the right to vote, which is super interesting because, I mean, based on what I've heard, they're almost, you know, I don't know that we have evidence that a voter was not able to vote, but 
it will be interesting to see whether someone's vote wasn't counted mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or those kinds of scenarios. Yeah, so. that is fascinating. Well, and it, it, it's also interesting in the way that, so they've it's 2.33 p.m. on Wednesday, November 9th when we're recording this. We're going to get it out as soon as possible. But they just announced that Georgia is going into a runoff, right? So that would kind of leave that state up in the air. Then we have Nevada, which is kind of, leaning to go Republican and Arizona, which is leaning to go Democrat, which would then leave us with, again, this Georgia vote being the deciding factor. Uh, high stakes. And uh, I mean, after 2020, that just brings back so much anxiety about this Georgia race. <laughs> and especially with candidates like Warnock and Walker, it's like we can't comment on it because it's going to go be in another election. But it's it's definitely going to be a, uh, a stressful couple of weeks yep for... it sure is well, kind of new cycle yeah yeah lauren i loved the analogy that you had about <laughs> <Yeah>. this election <laughs> i i feel like what this election is is like okay it's your birthday or it's christmas and you're just expecting this like big party and lots of presents and you show up and like people celebrate you and you like get like a present but like y- you're not like mad but at the same time you're it's really disappointing and you're like a little like ticked off of like oh I had such high expectations and you know luckily it looks like maybe it it it's not going to be as bad for the republicans as it was leaving last night but it's just a letdown after seeing this like red wave and all these people care about issue, issues that that we really cared about and then it just didn't quite come together yeah yeah and i saw um i saw there's a lot of people that have been talking about how um you know there were democrats that poured money into republican races in hopes that these republican candidates they were giving money to they wanted more what they described as radical candidates going up against Democrats rather than more moderate Republicans because they thought they were more likely to beat uh, a Republican who's closely aligned with Trump or who says that the election wasn't stolen in 2020. And so we were looking at some of those races and it looked like that strategy was effective in a couple races like Doug Mastriano, for example. he did not win, and there were Democrats that poured money into his race. I can't remember whether they directly supported him or they ran ads talking about how he really liked Trump, um, but I saw that in a couple different races. And, you know, now there's a lot of people that are concerned that um, they're, they're saying that it was Trump's fault in some cases that these candidates didn't do well. And then you also have all the rumblings about DeSantis, in 2024 so it's just there's a lot of interesting stuff going on yeah it's definitely going to be a very interesting couple of years leading up to 2024 for sure yeah say the least well virginia we're we're fixing to wrap up but we have a very special problematic woman of the week that we you got to meet with this week can you tell us a little bit about her yes so this week our problematic woman of the week is Joan Jacobson and Mary Margaret I know you have reported quite a bit 
on Joan and her story, and I had the opportunity to actually meet her on Election Day in Michigan. She's a Michigan local, um, and she is a pro-life advocate, a staunch pro-life advocate. She's in her 80s. She volunteers with the Michigan Right to Life. And back in September, she was knocking on doors, canvassing to inform voters about what Proposition 3 is, which is this really uh, radical abortion amendment that we talked about earlier in the show that now, you know, was was passed that will put a right, quote unquote, right to abortion in the Michigan Constitution. So she was out there talking to people in her community, explaining what it is, what it would do, uh, why it would harm life. And she knocked on a door. She had a conversation with a woman. Things got a little bit heated and they sort of started arguing back and forth. And the woman's husband overheard the argument and he came out with a gun in hand and how it's reported to have kind of gone down is he used his gun to sort of shove a clipboard out of the way that Joan was holding and the gun apparently accidentally then went off it fired through Joan's shoulder Um, thankfully she was not more hurt than she was she was well enough after that to drive herself to the police station in her community and then was taken to the hospital. Um, So I just got to hang out with her for about 30 minutes yesterday. She was at her polling place with a big sign that said, vote no on proposal three, explained how it, uh, the sign kind of had all this text about how, explaining how it harms women and, and children and families. And she is just the sweetest lady. She is so, uh, so sweet, so sincere. And I asked her, I was like, Joan, after, after literally getting shot defending your views while you were talking to people about the life issue, why are you still out here doing this? And she just said, well, you know, I wanted to be here in case anyone came and didn't know what Proposal 3 was. You know, maybe I could share with them what it really was and persuade them to, to vote for life, to vote to protect life. And so, I mean, she's someone that is literally saying, I'm going to do my part. You know, even if it's just talking to a dozen voters on election day, I'm going to do my vote to make sure Mm. people know the issues, that they're informed. And she is standing for life, just a precious and dear woman and definitely problematic. Mm. Well, Virginia, thank you for traveling all the way to Michigan. Your reporting was great. And Mary Margaret, thank you for staying late. I will now we're like what 30 minutes and I will take back my criticism of <laughs> <laughs> you working from home you're definitely getting some well-deserved rest and hopefully I uh, will not be here at Heritage much longer and I will go home and put my pajamas back on but it it was so fun to sit down and and kind of debrief and <laughs> of this election with, yeah. you, with you ladies no thank you i think it's like you kind of come off the like coffee high and the adrenaline rush of like what's gonna happen coffee like, energy okay. drinks for sure oh well i i think i would have a heart attack i can't have that much <laughs> caffeine in my body <laughs> <sighs> well with that that's gonna be it for this week's edition of problematic women be sure to join us next thursday morning for a brand new edition in the meantime take a minute to subscribe and share Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Thank you all again for joining us for this special post-election edition. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you right back here next week.
Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.